0: Right. well, we are continuing our series with the Gospel of Mark. How's your reading coming along? Woo-hoo! All right, we are through Chapter 5 this week, and this morning I was telling my wife or last night about what I'm preaching about, and she said, that's really interesting. I, that's what I was reading about this last week. She's like, oh, oh yeah, that's right. We're, we're all reading the same thing. So see how that works? If you're reading during the week, you get to come on Sundays and hear about that and already come prepared. And so, as you know, we're reading through Mark, uh, I believe we still have some bookmarks, I hope, on the, on the uh, welcome table as you come in that help you kind of have each daily reading. And we go just about two chapters a week, and we're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark all the way until Easter coming up at the end of March. And so it'll be a great time for us just to cover the entire scope and the story of Jesus as told through the author Mark in the Gospel of Mark. And so today we continue on with part three, and it's chapters four and five, chapters four and five. And and today, when I look at some of these chapters, and you may be wondering the same thing, going, how can you cover everything that's in chapter four and five? Chapters four and five. Here's the good news I'm not. I'm not going to try to. It's just too much stuff. And so today, we're going to actually focus in more on chapter four. In chapter four, Jesus tells a few stories called parables, and we're going to look at those. And then in chapter five, we see some healings and casting out of demons and things of that nature. We've seen some of that before already in the gospel. But then next week's message is going to really, as we look at chapter 6 and 7, we're going to see a lot of miracles and other kinds of healings in that way. And we're going to be focusing next week more on that whole part. What is the role of miracles? How do they happen? And healing and faith, what, how are those things connected? That's what we're going to be looking at next week. And so this week, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4 and 5, and mainly, again, focusing on chapter 4. So let's turn there together. Page 763, if you're in these Bibles, and it's Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, page 763. Are you there? Give me some kind of mm-hmm. All right, very good. <laughs> Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. There was such a large crowd along the shore that he got into a boat and sat down and spoke from there. He began to teach the people by telling them many stories such as this one. Let's, stop, let's just stop there for a minute. Jesus taught by telling many stories. How many of you love a good story? How many of you would rather listen to a lecture than a story? <laughs> How many of you would rather listen to all these 10 different ways to do something versus somebody just telling you their story? (laughs) Stories are are powerful, and stories have a way of bringing things to life. Now, this last week, I was down in Florida, and I was there for a conference from Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday with an organization uh, or a network called Healthy Growing Churches, HGC. We want to be part of that network? (laughs) Healthy Growing Churches, and, and we're a part of a group of churches that that's our desire, to have healthy leaders, healthy growing leaders, healthy growing churches. And and so we gather together to network, to talk, to learn, um, to be inspired, to be challenged. And all those things happened. And, uh, and, and what's interesting is when a bunch of pastors get together, I, actually, what do you imagine when a bunch of pastors get together? <laughs> all right. Is that a reflection on me? <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. But many of you think, you know, it's pastors getting together, and it's very somber and very reverent, and, you know, we, we sing deep worship songs and have moments of solitude, and, uh-uh. It is a hoot. It is fun. We have a blast. We, we cut loose. What, uh, our pastors <laughs> cut loose, whatever. Again, you guys are probably going, yeah, whatever. Anyway, but one thing we love to do, and you can imagine a room full of pastors is stories get told, okay? You can't get a room full of pastors to shut up. All right, we're we're used to talking, we're used to being in front of people, we're used to connecting. And so you get rooms full of pastors and there's just a lot of stories, a lot of um, conversation that happens. And and you know, we learn from those stories. We learn from their failures, we learn from their successes, the things that they're doing well. And sometimes it's just great to laugh and connect and, and we went out uh, to dinner one night, we drove with a, a couple of us uh, in a van and we drove out to, to Cocoa Beach there from Orlando. We took a little drive and ate at a nice fish place and started telling stories. Well, two of the, the guys, two of the friends in, in the group were, were, um, were telling the story, and they were roommates in college. They were football players, athletes, that kind of thing, and after college, they both became youth pastors, and their youth groups were not too far from each other, and so periodically, they would visit each other's uh, churches and bring their youth groups along. Well, one friend brought his youth group to his other friend's church, and, and they were doing activities during the day, and I don't, I don't remember what they were all doing, but they got kind of gross and sweaty and were working and doing all that stuff throughout the day. Well, they came back to the church, and the church uh, didn't have any showers. You know, it was just the church didn't have any showers, and so, you know, they were out of luck, and it was just going to be one of those kind of smelly evenings. And, you know, the, the students were, were off doing their thing. And then my two friends, these two guys whose names I will conceal, uh, they decide, one of them whose church it was said, you know what, I know where we have some hot water in the church, in the baptistry. And this was an established church, and they had this baptistry in the front of the church that, um, and some churches have those built in, and it was just kind of up front there, and they're like, yeah, there's hot water in there, we can, we can shower up in there. And so these two guys, they like go in the sanctuary, it's dark, it's at night, there, so they just kind of, they go in there, they take their shampoo, you know, they, they jump in the, uh, into the hot tub, <laughs> into the baptistry, and they're, they're showering up, and they're lathering up, and they're, you know, laughing, whatever, kind of trying to hurry up, and the light comes on in the sanctuary. <laughs> And the door opens, and this lady walks in. It's, the, it's their worship pastor for the church. And so they're both, like, ducking down behind the baptistry going, oh, my goodness, like, what do we do? There was no way out. It wasn't like there were doors behind. Like, you had to literally get out, and they were fuck naked um, in in the baptistry. And so they're like, what are we going to do? She's coming in for worship band practice. This is going to be a few hours. And so, like, we can't just be, like, ducking under here for that long. And so the one guy kind of gets up, and he's like, uh, uh, Judy, and she's like, what are you guys doing? And she he just tells the rest of the story, like he asked her to get out and keep the rest of the worship band out, and then they grabbed their stuff and ran out. And, and you, this is the kind of stuff that, that, that goes on. But we hear stories and you see that other people are, are human, that that they go through fun times, they have difficult times. One of the one of the presenters, the guy that, that runs the organization, Greg, shared about um, an incident where he his wife woke him up one morning because there was screaming and yelling going on outside in the neighborhood and and so um, they look out the window, and, and he runs outside, and there's this car doing circles in the middle of the street in reverse. And nobody's in it. It's just going around, and it's accelerating. It's, it's going like 30-some miles an hour, the police estimated. And it's starting to make a little bit wider circle and starting to hit some things. And, and, and Greg thought he was going to be a hero, and so he was going to try to get in there and figure, I can, you know, I can stop this car. And so he timed it when he came by, and he, he got the handle and got the door open the first go around. And then, you know, he kept time timing it and pacing it. And, you know, he, obviously as these guys tell the story, it's, you know, all the other details. But he jumps in and he gets in, but then he doesn't know what else happened to him. Apparently the, the centripetal force, right, threw him right back out and the car ran over him though. <laughs> yeah, so at first it was funny, but then it was so serious that he had wound, like burn wounds and scrape wounds and skin, like that was over 40% of his lower body and over his face. And literally they had to, to rush him in. He was in bad situation. And it was a life change moment for him, because he literally w- could have died from that situation. But anyway, stories, right? I mean, you related to that story versus me just saying, could you imagine if you died? Right? Or how bad that would The story has a way of connecting. And so we heard great stories throughout the week, again, of successes, of failures, of guys going through hard times. And, and you church folks, you guys make great stories for us. It's lovely. We get to share that in confidence together with each other. No, we, we, uh, we enjoy the good things of ministry. Well, when Jesus tells stories, he understands the power of a story. He understands that when we hear a story, we relate to that story. We connect with that story. If you ever like, like have like an out-of-body experience from your, from your conversation, like you get together with somebody at Starbucks, and if you just step back and could listen and replay your whole conversation, it would probably be more like a ping-pong match of, of stories, right? I got a story. Oh, you never believe what happened to me. Oh, that happened to me before too, just like that. And it's like one story after another. And it's this back and forth of story in which we learn, in which we discover who we are and and how we relate with other people. And so Jesus too here, he he tells stories. And he tells story after story after story. And and these stories that he teaches are called parables. And really what a parable is, it's a parallel story. It's a story of something that happens in this story and it's meant to teach us about a reality in this world, a reality of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus chooses to tell the story instead of telling us these facts about the kingdom of God. He says, "Here's a story, and let's see what you take from it." Masterful storyteller. And, and what I love about this first story here in, in chapter four, it is only six sentences long. He tells one of the most powerful stories in six sentences. I'm going to be spending like half an hour this morning trying to help us understand that he takes six sentences and moves on. Here's the story. And let's see if we find ourselves in the story and, and, and what we learn from it. Verse 3. Listen. Check around. You make sure everyone's listening. This is Jesus talking. So this is not me. Just check around. Make sure nobody's sleeping. Elbow somebody. Anyone on Angry Birds? Hit the power button. Turn it off. Okay. Jesus says, listen, and so we're going to listen to the story. It's only six sentences, so you don't want to blink and miss it. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The plant sprang up quickly, but it soon wilted beneath the hot sun and died because the roots had no nourishment in the soil, shallow soil. Other seed fell among the thorns that shot up and choked out the tender blades so that it produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. That's it. If you were there that morning in the crowd listening to Jesus teach, that's what you heard. And then he was maybe on to the next story, or maybe he left. And that's all you had to go on. So you had this great opportunity in the course of history to be with Jesus. I mean, crowds are following Jesus. This is what he did. He he did miracles. He performed great acts of, uh, you know, uh, healings. And now you're standing with Jesus, you're sitting with him, and that's what you get. That's the story you came to hear. And you go home. What do you do with that? Why would Jesus just tell us a simple little story like that? Well, how many soils are in this this parable. How many soils did he talk about? Three. Four. Four. Close. Three. Add one more. Four. All right. There are four different soils in this story. And he's saying a very simple thing. Seed was scattered. Do you guys all get your seed this morning? By the way, that's what that is. That's not like little maggots or something like that if you're wondering what's in there. That's seed, okay? And this is sunflower. Uh, not sunflower. Wildflower seeds. You guys like wildflowers? Yeah. Are they prettier than what's in here? All right, so seed. And he's talking about a farmer scattering seed. It's a very, um, it's an example that still fits today. We can still picture it today in in this happening. And and here in Arizona, we we overseed. How many of you guys overseeded your lawn this year? Wow, okay, not many of us. You guys like the brown grass look throughout the winter? All right, I understand. All right, if you've ever overseeded, you understand the fact that you throw the grass seed out on your backyard, you know, in the, where you want the grass to grow. But grass tends to growing in different areas. You know, if you've got a little a bed of rocks, you know, or if you've got some other bushes, or you've got weeds. And so, the par- you know, the, the, the example still fits today. Farmers and seed and, and in our very um, stories of everyday life, it still fits. And so what do we do with this example? And, and I love what the disciples do afterward um, In verse 10, he says, later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him, what do your stories mean? (laughs) So here they're going, okay, we got this inside track to Jesus. (laughs) I mean, what do we do? What do do they mean? And I think the reason Jesus never um, helps people understand the parables in the sense that he never goes and explains them is because there's some power in discovery. And he says later, too, the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are revealed in these parables, but some people will miss them completely. There's power in these stories, but some of us will miss them completely. And, and if I were to say now, turn you guys loose, and you never heard the interpretation, some of you who know the interpretation of this parable, but if you never heard that, you just began, what would happen if I turned you guys loose and you guys would start, I'd say, go, go start talking about this parable. Well, I have this idea. I think it could mean this. I think it could mean this. Well, tell me about it. And all of a sudden, there would be a process of discovery. And so many times, I think we come, and we want everything spoon-fed to us. We want to come to church and let the pastor mind the scriptures and hand us what we ought to learn from them, and that should be good enough until the next week. But Jesus wants us engaging his word. He wants us engaging the stories of people and discovering what it's all about. I had a huge task this week. It's one of the greatest challenges of my life, uh, was Monday and Tuesday. Uh, my parents live in Florida, and so I decided to go visit them the t- two days prior to the conference. But it wasn't just a visit with my parents, who are a- around the age of seventy, give or take a couple years. It was going to be forty-eight hours of technology updates. Any of you have uh, have some some maybe older parents or people that you help with technology? Well, I, I bought a laptop before I came. Because you know, my mom was going to go high tech now. They're going to get rid of the desktop. We're going to put a wireless network in. So I, that was my job. I was going to come in, put in a wireless network, you know, get, get a laptop going, and then teach her Windows 8. Okay, if any of you guys are tech people, you know that's just no fun at all. Okay, so we're doing that. In the same day as I'm going through that teaching Windows 8, it's time to update their flip phone from eight years ago to an iPhone. So on the same day that I'm teaching a wireless network, uh, a laptop, Windows 8, we get an iPhone with all the apps and all the things, and my dad gets a new flip phone, and he's never had a phone, and how do you do speed dial? And I don't even remember how to work flip phones and all this stuff. So it was a crazy couple days, but here's the thing I learned even with my mom, and I actually learned this from from Chris who who used to work at Apple and, and helping people understand some of these things. Don't do it for them. Right? When I was working with her phone and looking at her phone, what I could do, and everything in me wanted to grab the phone and go, see what you do? You push this, you slide this open, you tap here, and this is how you send a new email. And my mom's head would be spinning, and in the classic way that my mom always wanted to do it, she would take a pad of paper and write each step down. And I told her, I said, no writing anything down this time, okay? You're going to learn by immersion. No write- Passwords you can write down, but nothing else. And so, you know, she had the phone, and I had her, you know, touch it and do it. And she'd want to write a new, uh, you know, send a new message, well, how do you send a new message? I'd say, well, Mom, look on the screen. What do you think would help you send a new message? Look at those little icons. Maybe the thing that looks like a piece of paper with a pencil. I mean, you might want to try that one, you know. And she tries it. And, and what happens is the learning goes quick because it's self-discovery, because you're engaging it, because you're doing it, because you're processing it. And Jesus understood that in these parables, when we seek to find ourselves and to dig deeper, that those deeper truths are going to be opened up and they're going to be revealed to us. But what I love is here Jesus does actually give us a little lesson on how to maybe work through a parable and how Jesus is thinking and what he was thinking when he taught the crowds. And so it's like the curtain gets pulled away and we get to see Jesus interacting with his disciples. And so let's look at verse 13. But if you can't understand the story he's telling his disciples, how will you understand all the others I'm going to tell? All right, you idiots, let's go. The farmer I talked about, this is what he's saying to his disciples. I wasn't saying that to anybody here. Just, just to be clear, you guys almost were all silent like you didn't want to. All right, never mind. Sometimes they just didn't get it. Anyone relate? You just don't get it, okay? The farmer I talked about is the one who brings God's message to others. All right, so he's the one. And what, what would the message then be in this parable? What was the The seeds, right? So he's saying, here's the farmer, one who brings the message. So the seed is the message, the word that goes out. And so he's spreading it around crazily, right? He brings the message to others. Who are the others in the parable? Others equals the soils, okay? So we have farmer equals messenger. See, they're parables, right? Farmer equals messenger who's casting seed. Seed equals the the gospel, the good news, the word that's being preached. Others equals soil. And so now we can find ourselves in the story, and the question becomes, uh, it can become one from two sides. If If you're the farmer, if you're somebody who's spreading the good news of Christ, you begin to learn to see how does that happen. When we look, how does the seed fall? When, When I think about what we do as a church, and what I think happens here this morning is we're spreading the news of Christ. We're spreading the good news. We're working through the Gospels. And the reality is there are four kinds of soil among us here this morning, probably. And so the question becomes, which soil are you? And so then we find ourselves, if you're not the farmer, if you're a soil, and we're all both, at, at, hopefully at different times, if we're followers of Christ, what kind of soil are you? And so Jesus goes through the four soils. The seed that fell on the hard path represents those who hear the message, but Satan comes at once and takes it away from them. Hardened soil. The seed has no place to grow. And we understand this from Arizona, right? You throw this seed on the clay, on the hard ground that's been beaten down by the, by, the, by the hot sun and the dry, what happens to the seed? The birds will come. I mean, this is just so plain as day. Jesus is saying that. And here, some of you this morning, you're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear it, the, the message of Christ. You're going to have God speaking to you today, some other day, and you're just going to go, oh, I don't care. Doesn't, I'm just here because somebody's getting baptized, and I want to watch them get baptized. Good for them. I'm just killing time. Somebody dragged me out here. Um, I'm tired of church. I just do this because my wife wants me to go. Harden soil. And here's the thing. You're never going to see what the kingdom of God is like. You're never going to understand the power of Jesus Christ because you have hardened your heart. The soil is hard. All you're going to see when, some, when, when somebody in your family tells you about the great wildflowers, the beautiful wildflowers that they're experiencing in their life, all you're going to see is this. Tiny little seeds. You're not going to see it. You're going to see little seeds and you're going to go, uh, It doesn't do anything for me. Hardened soil. And so we we have to figure out, what do we do? Is that just who we are? Is that just how we come? We're just hardened? So some people, you know, it takes root and others it doesn't? Well, let's keep reading. The second soil. The rocky soil, so we had hard path, now the rocky soil, represents those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. At first, they get along fine, but they will as soon as they have problems or are persecuted because they believe the word. Here we have this beautiful little, little sprout. You see that? If you have this, if you see this, and if you, if you planted this, does this bring you joy when you see it? Isn't it like it's coming up? If you've ever planted a little garden that's like our family, like the girls will all run out. My wife will come up. I see the first leaves. It's so exciting. It's sprouting. And that's what happens with us that that, that, that will receive Christ. And it can become joy. And, and I've seen this so many times in the life of our church. People that come back to church or receive Christ or they hear it and they get excited. They get excited about God. They get excited about church and worship. And there's genuine joy in their lives. But then something happens. It becomes like that initial part of a relationship that never deepens. The roots don't grow. And pretty soon that joy It's crowded out. These big rocks, right? There's no root and there's not enough nourishment. And so you're starving your own faith and pretty soon you go, I don't know why I was so excited about God. Forget it. And you're just back to where you began. So we have to start looking, what are the rocks in my life? What is it in the soil, in my soil that is crowding out that's not allowing me to get the nourishment? I mean, we don't just offer things like small groups and roots groups and Bible studies because we've got nothing better to do because we think it's a waste of your time. The reason we do these things as a church and we do these things as a community, the reason we say you need others is because on your own you'll wilt. The sun will dry you out. There will be no nourishment. If you do not come to church under the word of God, if you do not read your Bible, if you're not getting together with other Christians, you can have the joy for a while, but after about two months, three months, six months, you're toast. Quite figuratively, the sun will dry you out and you're done and then you start thinking, the church didn't bring it to me. It didn't nourish me. It didn't nurture me. We've got to take advantage of what's around us and allow God's love to dig deeper and stronger and uh, firmer so that we have those roots that can survive. Now, the thorny ground, verse 18. Now, these, these plants seem to survive. The thorny ground represents those who hear and accept the good news, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares of this life. The lure of wealth and the desire for nice things. So, no crop is produced. It doesn't say this plant dies, it just says no crop is produced. You guys ever had a, a tree that doesn't produce fruit, like a fruit tree <laughs> that doesn't produce fruit? How good is a tomato plant that doesn't bear tomatoes? You really want to have that thing around? <laughs> it's not the prettiest of plants. Is this us? I mean, I think this can be people who may have been maybe in the church their whole life. And they do the things that people that go to church do, that our Christians do. They get in the right place. But it's just sort of a thing they do. It just comes alongside of life. But there's really more important things. Getting ahead at work. Acquiring more wealth. Doing the things that, that, that the world does. Finding my own pleasure in these ways. And my spiritual life is just not that important. And the joy and the life and the potential of these seeds to flower and to produce fruit. Is literally choked out. And yet the plant somehow manages to stay alive. And so we've got these living but fruitless followers of Christ. It's a sad state. Because that's not what this is all about. And Jesus says, look, here's, here's the goal. But the good soil, the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's message and produce a huge harvest, 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Isn't this why we plant seeds? (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't want to go out in the the grass and and when I overseed in the fall and just put like one seed for each little blade of grass. I want it to multiply. I want to have a nice big green lawn that's greener than any other neighbor's lawn, which I never succeed at. But you know, we want to have this huge harvest, this big crop. And and when we plant trees with fruit, we want to be able to just, just have that fruit. When I think about that for us as a church, we need to be fruit producers. We need to produce a harvest. How does one community church continue to grow and reach and change lives in this community? Because one person or two, three people are producing a harvest? It's limited by us, by you. This is your church. This is our church. And the harvest comes in people who are living life and allowing the seed to take root in their lives and begin to just grow and grow and grow. Some of that fruit is seen in your families. Some of you, when, when you come to Christ and you begin to live in that way, your children begin to follow Christ. And they see how that's lived out. And from generation to generation, the multiplication is there, isn't it? Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's the people you're around. And it's the way you live that produces a harvest. And so Jesus tells us this really practical example. And he's saying, look, find yourself in the story. So let me just give you a second to find yourself in the story if you haven't already. Hard soil, rocky soil, thorns and weeds in the soil, or good soil. Now, the good news is you can determine what kind of soil you're going to be. Right? If you want to plant in the, out here in, in Arizona, you can just say, oh, I can never grow anything. Look how hard the soil is. I guess that's just the lot that I've been given, hard soil. Now, what do you do? You break it open, right? You begin to water it. You soften it up. You put a crack in there. You open it up. You begin to pull out the big rocks. You get some good topsoil. You put it in. And pretty soon, you've got a place where a harvest can happen. And we've got to prepare ourselves for what God wants to do in us. How do you break open hard soil? It's called brokenness. Brokenness. Brokenness in our lives. When we come to a point where we say, I can't anymore, God. Here's my life. I, don't, I can't handle this anymore. I want you. There's a brokenness. There's a surrender. And in that crack, which feels like a crack in our lives, which may feel like our world is breaking apart, it's in that crack that God's work can begin. It's when we become broken, and we remove the garbage in our lives, and we weed out the influences that are pulling us in the wrong directions, that the harvest can come. And the beautiful thing is, We flower. And my favorite part of any of these seed examples, and you hear me any time we teach on this, is what's in the fruit? What's in the fruit? Seeds. Isn't that beautiful? What's in the fruit is seeds. You want more of these? Plant them, and you will get more of these. Otherwise, that's all you have. And so within the fruit is sweetness, is goodness, is life and nourishment, but is also the seed to perpetuate and to continue to grow more. And that's how Christ wants to use us. Jesus tells many other great stories, many other great illustrations, to help us understand what it's like in the kingdom of God. What it's like to live as believers. What is it like to follow Jesus and to be transformed? And so as you read the story of Jesus, as you see the story of the Bible, which is a bigger story in which we find ourselves, we begin to understand who we are. Because you're part of a lot of different stories. It's not just your own story you're writing. It's all about my story. That's how we approach life. It's my story and everyone else to help me write my story. You're a part of some bigger stories. You're a part of the story of your family. You're a part of the story of this church. You're a part of the story of this community, this nation. You're part of all kinds of stories. And we are part of a much bigger narrative and it's the Bible. We are in the story that began at the beginning of time, that's going to end with Christ coming back. We are part of the story. How are you a part of it? This morning, we've got some folks who are going to be baptized. and I love baptism because baptism is a story. I mean, it's really a story. It's a picture story. And what, what you're going to see is you're going to, we're going to reenact the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? That's what baptism is. It's a reenactment. So we're going to kind of have like, what you're going to see is people who are going to stand up here and who are going to tell you about what Christ has done in their lives. And they're going to say, look, I I want to be part of the story of Jesus. I want to not just read about the story in the Bible. I want to be part of the body of Christ, the church that has been through the ages. And I want to follow Jesus. I want to be one of his disciples. And what they're going to do this morning is this transformation that has taken place on the inside that we can't see, they're going to say, look, I want to show you what Christ has done and I want you all to see and celebrate where I stand with Christ. And so they're going to get in this water like Jesus did, like the disciples, like others, the believers throughout the ages have done. They're going to get in the water and in this rite of passage into the body of Christ, they're going to be dunked under in this representation of you have been buried with Christ. You're under the water, you're buried. But I'm going to be raised to new life and the cleansing of the forgiveness of sin of believing in Christ, I'm going to be raised to new life like Christ was, and I begin this journey. They're not being baptized because they have it all figured out. They're not being baptized because they are super holy. They're not being baptized because they're perfect and and can recite every book of the Bible. They're not being baptized because they can name the 12 disciples. (laughs) No, you know what? Because they probably can't. They're being baptized because they have said, God, my life is yours through Jesus Christ here it is, I want to follow you from this day forward. And we get to celebrate in that story. And if you've been baptized, they join our story as the church. And like I said, maybe this morning you're realizing, today is my day. I want to give you my life, Christ. I want to give it to you. I want to surrender it. I want my soil, you know, the soil of my soul to be broken open. And maybe today is the day that you get baptized. Maybe you've been a believer for a while and you've let things choke you out and you say, God, today is a new day. I've not been baptized, I want to take that step today.